Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. So, Mom, who are you? What's your deal? Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Name, pronoun, hobbies, special interests? Your username alludes to one of your special interests. It does. Racer X. Love you it. can just call me Mom. Mom. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. I go by she, her. And, yeah, I don't know. My main things is that I like to goof off and have fun. I believe that there's some kind of something out there in the world. I don't know what it is. I don't have to define it, but I believe that there's some divine plan. And one, I think one of my friends summed it up perfectly when he said, you're like a race car driving monk. So I thought it was apropos because I like to meditate and do all that spiritual hippie dippy woo woo stuff, but also give me some octane and speed and I'm happy. Yeah. And I actually went to racing school with you one time. You did. Now I'm did, teaching yeah. my 15 and a half year old son how to drive. And I was telling him about the hand over the wheel thing that you taught me. Mm-hmm. Passing yep, on the, the tradition. Exactly. That was fun. I had a fun time. I think that for me, that was fun because I was planning it in secret and you didn't know that, that you were going fun. to racing school. So I got to plan because I, I run those schools and run racing events. So it was fun to get to plan all that, knowing that you were going to come and be a part of it and you didn't know. I tell all my friends that my mom runs autocross events and they go, your mom is so cool. And I'm like, I know I have the cool mom. Our family, if it has a motor, we've been doing it since I was a kid. So I started out on motorcycles and graduated to dragsters and then to, you know, old muscle cars that were all fixed up. Oh, see, that looks similar to the microphone I have, which I do not have plugged in right now. Oh, mine has... Color, fancy schmancy. Is yours just red? Uh, it's just blue, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's That's just, cool. Just blue. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's usually up higher, but I realize the captions were struggling to hear my words. They still are, but maybe this will help it a little if it can hear me more clearly. Anyway. Yay. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. What are we even doing? What are we doing today? We're talking about stuff. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> stuff trans stuff. So our topic for the day is you are a parent of a trans person. And the idea for this conversation, I feel like it's been kind of brewing for a while. But recently I I had someone reach out to me who is a parent of a like 12 or 13 year old trans boy, trans masculine person. And I was struggling. I was struggling to support her. And so I texted you and was like, hey, you've had to go through this stuff. Would you be willing to talk to this mom who's having a hard time? Because I don't think she needed to hear from me. She needed to hear from someone else. And you said, yeah. So then I let you two have your private conversation that I still don't know what happened and I don't need to. It's not my business. And I thought, my goodness, we should talk about that some more because my community is largely full of trans people and our parents have to figure stuff out. 
But wouldn't it be cool if all of our parents could talk to each other and support each other in figuring the things out? Yeah. Yeah. It's a process, right? It's a process I think that you have gone through and it's a process that I have gone through. And what I realized, and I will just stick to my side of the story because I like you, it's not my news to tell what was going on with the other parent. But when she and I were talking, I recognized where she was in the process and that there was a process that I went through and that I was glad to be where I was at in the process that I could reach a hand to someone else who was at the beginning of their journey. And so it let me actually see that I had grown in my journey. Yeah. And that was actually helpful. It was helpful for me because sometimes you don't know where you've come from until you run up against somebody and go, oh, okay. And while I was never, I, and you and I have talked about this, so I'm not saying anything that you haven't heard before. For me, I have always wanted to be accepting of my kids. And I have always wanted my kids to be the most them that they could be, whatever that is, whether it, it was, whether it's gender, sexual orientation, spirituality or religion, like you and I have had a lot of those kind of journeys. We even went whole religious spirit slash spiritual journey together. We so did. I have always wanted to hold space for for you to explore a lot of things in life and then also to be able to support you being the youest you you could be and then i've had my journey around some acceptance around some things not of not being supportive but of all of the and it was really my own stuff it was all my own projections and all of my own ideas of what i thought your life and future and whatever was going to be which is all my junk right it had, really had nothing to do with you but there was a lot of letting go of those things. And fortunately, because I've had to do a lot of other work in other areas of my life, I could recognize that and I could have containment around it for myself and understand that was my junk and that there wasn't really anything for you to do about that. That was for me to do something about. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, it's who has ownership over the thing, whatever the thing is. Yep, exactly. Do you remember when you came out to me? As a, when I came out as a lesbian or when I came out as a non-binary person? As a lesbian. Do you remember that? I do. I tell the story sometimes. Would, I would love to hear you tell the story, though, because I've told it a bunch. Yeah, and I want to talk about when you were little, too. So oh, this is how I remember it. So you tell me if you remember it the same way, because we haven't talked about this very much. But I remember you flew into where I live. Mm-hmm. And you flew in with your sibling, mm -hmm. my other descendant. And, oh, we should talk about that too. Darling, double D. Uh, yeah. We should talk yeah. about that. We should talk about that because that's been a big thing for me. And it's been a thing for me and you. So anyway, so when you came out, when after I picked you guys up from the airport and we were driving in the car, and I think that you had already told your sibling. So I think that they already knew. Yeah. But... I hadn't been told yet. And so you told me and I was like, oh, I remember thinking to myself, okay, not in like a disconnected way, but in just, okay. And then I remember asking you guys if you, I think it was, if you guys wanted pizza or sub sandwiches, something like that. It was like, did you want a sandwich or lunch? Yeah. 
I told, so I told I people think, you said, that's nice. What do you want for lunch? I was like, I didn't, <laughs> it's not that I didn't accept it or that I didn't care or that I, but it was just, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a thing for me. It was like, it was just information and it changed nothing about my relationship with you you know, how I felt about you, the world around me and you, I just was, it was just, it was fine with me. It really wasn't a thing, but I remember, but I do remember for a while you were like, I don't have a very good coming out story because <laughs> there was no oof to it. It was just like a sandwich or pizza. That's so funny. The other coming out story along the lesbian lines is when I came out to dad, I was with him and his future third wife and then my secret then girlfriend, but I hadn't told him that she was my girlfriend because I was too worried, but it was probably super obvious, but I hadn't told him and I told dad that I was lesbian and his response was to dance with me in the aisleway of the restaurant. It was so cute. That sounds just like your dad. That sounds just like your dad's having a party. Your mom, your dad's having a party. That sounds very apropos. (laughs) Almost all important things we've talked about have been in a car. Almost all. That's true. You love cars. And also we we know we're not going to get interrupted when we're in cars. Yeah. I used to drive around the block when you were kids. So that we'd tell you stuff. You were talking, I would keep trying. Yeah, I would take a long way home that would end up being like around a lake like, <laughs> when you guys were talking. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We just wax poetic and watch the scenery go by. So mm-hmm. cute. <laughs> I love that. Our family mm-hmm. has such a history and connection to like cars and vehicles. Very long, yeah. Yeah, all the way back to your grandmother. Your the your paternal grandmother and paternal would have been like what great uncle? Yeah. Oh, wow! Because he used to, yeah, he used to race cars. And when he retired, one of his race cars, my grandmother, your great grandmother, bought his race car. And imagine this: it has open exhaust, which means there's no mufflers to deaden the sound. It's an open cockpit car, no mufflers, so open exhaust, really. And I think your grandpa said she used to have to sit on a pillow or something to be able to see. And she would drive that thing around. And she, she, she yeah, and she was living where they had winter. So Your grandmother they would chase people around with a broom. Drive that thing all over town. I love that. Yes, your, your granddad, if you sass back to her, he's 30, 30 years old living in his own house, but she'd chase him around with a broom. The women in my joke. family she take no, joke. Take she no BS. Yeah, she was less than five feet tall. She was a tiny little thing. Yep. And you were a little, you were like a little rough and tumble thing. That's true. Mm-hmm. So we have you we have actually a whole had more reel of pictures of young me over here. I had a horse. How is it going? It is. I had excellent fashion sense. <laughs> tell tell us more about <laughs> the outfits I would pick out. What were your rules about outfits? Well, that's what I was thinking. It was probably good that we had those rules about clothes because it probably gave you for self-expression in a way that perfect into. It was actually you. It was. It's all your fault. 
Uh, it's all your fault. When you were little, right? I used to tell I used to tell you and your siblings, I used to always say, what's important is who you are on the inside, not what you look like on the outside. I yeah. always used to tell you that. I still think that. Yeah. And so one day we were, getting, we were getting ready for school and I gave you a pair of socks to wear that matched your outfit. It was all matchy matchy. And, and you did not want to wear the socks. Mm-hmm. You were like, whatever it was, you were anti those socks. And you were just really anti those socks. You did not want to wear them. <laughs> and so I was like, but they match your outfit. You mm-hmm. said, you just put your hands on your hips. Gave me your little <laughs> brass self. It is important. Is it important who I am on the inside? You know, when your words come back to you. And you, <laughs> you were literally in first grade at the time. You were six. And yeah. you were serving it up. Yeah, you were totally, you totally had a number. And so I sat there and I thought, that's correct, actually. <laughs> wear whatever socks you want. <laughs> you can wear anything you wanted to school, as long as it had no holes and no stains, because I wanted you guys to have, like, pride of personhood. So no holes and no stains. And it had to fit in with the school's dress code. I am here to tell you, I got a lot of stink eye from a lot of the moms at school. They would ask me if I let your dad dress you. <laughs> they would say, do you school and so? Dress the children today? And I, would, I said, no. And they were like, did you see what they looked like before they walked out the door? There's a particular so, poncho I remember loving that was very colorful. <laughs> and you would wear your poncho, which was like multicolored, <laughs> for your pants that had a completely different print, you know, mm-hmm. different direction. And then cowboy boots, and then you would belt the poncho. I don't know what the purpose of the belt was on top of the poncho, but there was some reason to do the belt. I don't know if you hung things off the belt, maybe, or something. I cannot remember. That. I maybe even imagined that I could, right? It could be my tool belt. It could be my gunsling. All the imaginary yes. things I could hang off of it. It's very important to have the belt because it was utility. There's a lot of belt action going on. Also, first, you had first for, grade, first grade outfit right there. Look at that colorful thing I'm wearing. What were you gonna say? Sorry. You would do your Halloween costumes. Always lent, leaned towards. It was more like I don't even know how to describe it exactly, but they definitely were did not lean towards feminine at all. There's yeah. not like you had a knight in shining armor costume that you wore one year for Halloween. Mm-hmm. That costume got. It of mileage all year long wore that thing out it had plastic and I don't remember I think the clothes were like like white maybe or maybe the white clothes that you wore with it were like your karate stuff that you would put on and then you put the thing over it and it had a sword and you were like all about the yeah we had a lot of interesting outfits that went out the door of that house I think one year I I was a ninja a lot of mom I had a lot of Yep. And you were Mickey Mouse, not Minnie, Mickey. You were Mickey Mouse one year. Yeah, we had a lot of interesting clothes choices that walked out the door of that place. So a lot of mom shaming was going on back then. I didn't care. I was more interested in you all being happy than I was the, pleasing the other moms at the school. Say the kid, thank the you. other kids thought it was, they, no problem. Parents job, man. Totally. And you said, can I just say, and then I interrupted you with my thank you. 
Oh, I've just said other kids. It was fantastic. They wish their parents were as cool as my parents. Yeah. This is the freedom of expression, right? That's what it was about. Just having the freedom of expression. Yeah. I do remember one time my goat followed me to school and they had to make an announcement to everybody and say, Jack, please come to the main office. Your goat has followed you to school. Yeah, you guys had to go corral it into the bike. Corral. Yeah. Called. <laughs> they called me and said, Mrs. So-and-so, your goat has followed the children to school again. Can you come back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy and Cinderella. Yeah, they like to go to school. They like to play with all the kids. Yeah. They like well, to play with all the kids. Do you remember fun. riding to school in the bucket in the back? Fun. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yep. That is something Dad would do. I also know one time dad showed up with the horse at school after school picked me up after school with the horse and i rode it all around the playground like on the grass the lower field as i think we called it and in my mind all the kids thought i was cool but maybe they were just jealous i don't know i don't know i wasn't there hard to say i don't know we were like old mcdonald's farm in that place we had like a <laughs> tiny hobby farm it was we so did cute. Well, and even when I was young, you had a whole pile of hobbies that you did that aren't like traditional woman or girl hobbies. Like you trained for a triathlon. You were doing rollerblading and ice skating and all kinds of active stuff. And I remember thinking you were so cool. We listened to a lot of Aretha Franklin. We did. Yes, we jammed to a lot of Aretha Franklin. Yes, I remember because we used to talk about how she's the greatest of all time. And it was a goat, right? And then you guys went to school one day and talked about how Aretha Franklin was the greatest of all time. And none of your classmates knew who she was. And so you came home and took me to task. <laughs> Aretha Franklin is not the greatest. Nobody even knows who she is. And I'm like, just because who she is, doesn't, she's not the greatest of all time. She is the greatest of all time. It's true. Still, I, I stand by that. That was good. I was parenting on my part, and I stand by. <laughs> I love that so much. It's it's not our fault that the, our friends just weren't as didn't have parents as cool as I did. Well, their parents probably knew Aretha was the greatest of all time, but they yeah. just did. They were too young. <laughs> it's okay. I still stand by my decision to blare Aretha Franklin all the time. When you were a kid, were you a bit of a tomboy? A total tomboy. Yeah. Yeah, I would love but yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood that everything we were doing was co-ed. It was the guys and the gals in my neighborhood all did the same thing. And if it had a motor, we were doing it. So boats, cars, motorcycles, snowmobiles, we were doing all of it. And my brother and I taking the boat out really young and pulling each other water skiing. And we were trusted with a lot of responsibility. And that also gave us a lot of freedom to get to do things. But it, all the kids in my neighborhood were doing it. It wasn't like the boys were doing one thing and the girls were doing another thing. The boys and girls were all doing the same thing. So there wasn't like gender stereotypes and activities for us. Mm -hmm. Everybody was just doing the things that they were interested in. And in our neighborhood, it just happened to be things with motors because I grew up on a lake and the man that lived kitty corner from our house had hundreds of acres of land and he let us use that as if it was our own personal backyard. 
So we would ride our motorcycles back there and go hiking and all kinds of stuff. And I had a brother who treated me like a peer and an equal. He did not talk down to me because I was a female and he didn't treat me differently. Like he didn't cut me any breaks because I was his sister. It was just, we're doing this thing. And if I'm going to do it, you're going to do it. And I got taught how to work on my own motorcycle. And I was expected to do that. And I wasn't as talented at it, maybe as some of my family members, but I could follow directions and I figured out how to do it. So I was lucky to grow up in that little bubble, really. And I didn't learn till a lot later how progressive that neighborhood was because all the kids in my neighborhood were doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was like that everywhere. And I didn't realize until a lot later that what we were doing in that neighborhood was not what every neighborhood was doing and that we didn't we were fortunate to be lacking in a lot of those stereotypes because a lot of the moms were driving the boats and had their own motorcycles and had fast cars and all that stuff so it's just what was going on and where I grew up and and like I didn't raise powder puff when I raised motocross I didn't raise powder puff because my brother started before me And my parents said, you can race, but only if you race in the same series as your brother, because we don't have the manpower or the financial resources to try and go to two different locations because we would race almost every weekend all summer long. That's so so cool. Yeah. We did it as a family. We had a van and we converted it into a camper and it had a little sink and a fridge and everything in it. And so we would camp out in the van and there were bathrooms that we could use at the racetrack and so I just, I just didn't know any better. And that's just the way that it was. And the, our little region that raced motocross, there was me and one other girl, Christine, and then everybody else that was racing was boys, but we didn't care. We were just in there being a racer among racers, but the, we, our region, we all used to practice together. We'd go to the track and practice together and then we'd practice at home. So we spent an inordinate amount of time practicing and that, has become a really good thing for me later in life to know that you have to work hard to excel at something. Yeah. But the, the, the magazine, magazine reporters and stuff like that would write about us. And they used to call us the Michigan mafia because we were like these little eight, nine, 10 year old kids that were literally just crushing it out there on the track. And so they just, they dubbed us that we didn't pick the name. They picked it for Right. And so we even have a, we even have a group and our little group is called the Michigan Mafia. So anyways, I didn't find out about that till much later, but yeah, I guess we got dubbed that by some reporter and we're not the only group of people that have been dubbed that, but I just think it's hilarious that this little group of eight, nine, 10 year olds is being considered little killers, not, not in the literal sense on the racetrack. So Yeah. So I just wouldn't have known any different than for everything to be equal opportunity for anybody. Yeah. And if I remember correctly from stories you've told me in the past, like you growing up, you were always petite, like you were always small compared to the other kids in your class. So I just have this image in my head of you being like this tiny, fierce little entity. (laughs) Yeah. I I was four years old when I started kindergarten. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't turn five until my, I was in kindergarten for four months, three months before I turned five years old. So I was always lagging a little bit behind everyone in my class. And yes, physically stature wise, I was tiny. I was always short and I was really tiny. And yeah, I was just a little runt. I was a little scrapper. It was a lot like my grandmother. Run around with that broom. 
It's funny, one of my guy friends now, because I'm single, so one of my guy friends now says it's always funny to be with me at car races and car events when guys that come up and try and hit on me, mm-hmm. because I'm usually, I have pretty good boundaries around that stuff. And he said, it's the funniest doggone thing. You said, it's like watching you put a finger on their forehead and just shove them back about five feet away from you. Mm-hmm. What you can tell when you don't want someone to invade your space, who you don't know very well, who's saying stuff you're not interested in because you do this thing and you never physically touch them, but there's something about your energy and just the way that you look at them that I always watch them. It's they take a step backwards. They get the message and they just take a step backwards. He's like, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I wasn't even aware I was doing it actually. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I know when if I don't want somebody to invade my space, I know I have a certain... I have a certain look that I do. I'm, it doesn't bother me to step back away from somebody a little bit or just put a hand up or something to, yeah. So you roll with whatever is going on, but yeah. So what did you think about me being a tomboy when you were growing up? What was that like for you having a mom that was a tomboy? I thought it was cool because it was like, it, I don't know, I was a tomboy, so it made sense. It was like, of course, we're a family of tomboys. Mm-hmm. We're a family of like people who don't care at all about gender stereotypes and expectations and do what makes us happy instead. I also remember the moments where dad was super nurturing and your energy was very like your mama bear. Like you were very sweet and kind with me and my sibling, but everybody else could just F right off sometimes. You know what? I, I, I love my kid. I'm not a big fan of kids if they're not my own. I was not like a kid person. I did not babysit growing up. I didn't do that kind of stuff. So I just wasn't really into kids. I totally dug being a mom to my kids, but I, I if there were kids in my own family, yeah. But outside of that, like if it was nieces, nephews, whatever, but outside of that, I just was never all that into it, really. Mm-hmm. I liked the teen years. I, I did better in those years, I think. Yeah. I'm a parent now. I have some stepchildren. And I lucked out because I got stepkids who were like double digits. So I skipped all the diapers. It's wonderful. <laughs> Which is fitting for your personality. <laughs> it, it totally is. We've talked about that multiple times. I just get squicked very easy. I just, nope. Actually, so when I was having my, my top surgery consult with my doctor... I told my doctor, because I knew from when I had my breast reduction, I am very pain sensitive. And uh, I said, look, I'm concerned about this. The last time I had a similar procedure, it did not go well. I needed more meds than they prescribed me. They had my caretakers had to call and ask for more. And the doctor said, yeah, that makes sense. Guys are wimps. And I was like, simultaneously (laughs) felt very (laughs) affirmed, but also a little bit offended. Nice. So... (laughs) I like to think that my my wimpitude is due to <laughs> being who I am. <laughs> and it's actually normal for people who are like me to be a little bit wimpy. It's okay. Yeah. You've always been very pain averse, which is the opposite of what I've been told, that I have a high tolerance for it. You do. So You have it's like a very high pain tolerance. Very yeah. opposite spectrum, yeah. Was there more of the question that you asked that I have now forgotten because my brain ADHD'd right out of that question? No, I was just curious. I I don't think I've ever actually asked you that. I was just curious what it was like for you to grow up with a parent that was a tomboy. 
because that wouldn't necessarily be a fit for everybody. I remember when I first came out, I wondered if you were non-binary too, because I just wanted you to be just like me. So then we could have more togetherness about things, TM. That is sweet. No, I've had people ask me that before because I think I'm, I try to be pretty open-minded and open-hearted about stuff. And so I've had people ask me before about that stuff and it's really more for me a matter of comfort and it's just what is comfortable for me mm-hmm. to it and for me it's more relaxed clothes like i actually like to dress up sometimes like, i don't like to wear dresses all the time but i actually do enjoy like dressing up and doing my hair and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it's just on a day-to-day in and out in me i'm never going anywhere without my mascara so That's true. Uh, but on the day-to-day stuff, yeah, it's more just comfort and convenience. And I have spent, and I understand why people ask me that because I've spent so much of my life and a majority of my career doing male-dominated things. So I think it's a natural wonder for people to have, for sure. There was a time in my life where you were selling makeup mm-hmm. and my stepmother had a bit of a shopping habit. I don't I don't want to go so far as to say another word because it's not my place to decide that for somebody else, but a bit of a shopping habit. And I hated all the clothes she always bought for me. And looking back, just like this weekend, I was looking at pictures at dad's house and I was realizing like, oh, I hated all the clothes my stepmom bought for me because they were all femi girly clothes. And I was like, this is... She was, <laughs> she liked she was girly, yeah and pedicures and all of that stuff and it's just not like I don't and me I don't like anybody touch my feet it's ridiculous just don't anybody touch my feet but yeah yeah that was one of the things I, and I learned pretty early on with you actually with you and your sibling I I didn't like picking out clothes yeah I didn't like picking out clothes because it was hard to get it right I'd yeah. rather just guys or have you show me stuff that you liked? Because, and I also think it's a very individual thing too. So. It is. I just, well, yeah, and I remember relatives would ask you, what should I get for your kids for this holiday? And you're like, oh, they, what size are your kids now? And you'd be like, I think this is their sizes, but I don't recommend you get them close. People like ask you, call and talk to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a list so I could mm-hmm. read off the list. Yeah. And I remember there was a point where my dysphoria was so bad. Like you took me to the swimming pool to go swimming and my sibling was happy and carefree and jumped out and whatever. And I had so much body shame at the time. I thought it was like internalized fat phobia stuff. And looking back now, I actually think it was more about gender. I think it was like, I look girly and this is skin tight and I can't hide these shapes that don't make sense for me. And I just don't like, I cried and cried in the car until you took me home. Cause I just, could not handle it and I don't think I went swimming again at that pool after that I think that was the end of swimming for me and so there came a later point in my life where I got to go swim with a bunch of hippies in the woods somewhere and that was way better and I was like oh it turns out I love swimming I just don't like swimming where people put me in a gender box (laughs) if I can jump in a lake and not go through a locker room that has girl or boy written on it that's way better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I think if we look back, I think there's a lot of things that were like indicators or that were telling the story. But frankly, I just wasn't educated enough back then to know. I just didn't know. Yeah. 
I didn't know either. I feel like I'm still finding the pieces today. Yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't know. So I was doing the best that I could to try and have an open heart and an open attitude about things. So whatever door you guys needed to walk through to be, I know I keep saying this, but the USU you could be like, I just wanted things to be open that way, but I wasn't educated enough at that time to really understand what any of it meant. And I'm still getting educated now. So it's not, I feel like I'm, I have arrived or anything. I'm just at a place in my journey where I'm like pretty at peace with whatever things will be. Mm -hmm. I'm just more at peace with it. I had to go through a journey with that. Just, I think I've now get to watch you go through your journey. So I think we've both been journeying. Adventures. Yes. Speaking of the journey, maybe we can dig into some of the more emotional topics that we've wanted to talk about today. So content warning for folks who are listening or watching. We're going to talk a bit about grief. We're going to talk about what it was like to be the the parent of someone coming out in mom's grief journey, especially for folks who are very beginning in your trans journeys. This might be hard for you to hear. I just... I hope that the last hour of stream has affirmed for you that mom and I are super good now and we like figured it out and we love each other and everything's great. But we're going to talk about what the actual journey of me starting to come out socially and all of that was like. And there, there were some hard, there were some hard parts. There's, so we're going to talk about being sad. We're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about all that stuff. So if that's too much for you today, or if you want to take a moment to have a deep breath or get a glass of water, grab your emotional support stuffed animal or actual mammal. This is your moment. <laughs> this is your heads up that you might want to do a little self-care, get a cozy blanket or something. So anyways, mom, I came out as non-binary in 2017 with my new name and pronouns. And you had a whole experience around that. I did. Will you yeah. tell us more? Yeah. That mostly for me, it was that I... How do I want to say it? I felt, and I know I keep using the word journey, but partly it's because I value the process. Like I value the process and I value the journey. And in the beginning of your journey, I did not feel a part of it at all. I felt on the outside. And so everything felt like announcements as opposed to getting to be a part of it. And so it was like, I'm by the way, I've changed my name. And I think I heard about it like after the decision was made and you'd pick the new name and you were headlong into doing the legal paperwork for it. And then the non-binary thing, which I just, at the time, I didn't understand all of it. Like I just was like, and I had a hard time with the languaging around it and trying to keep stuff straight. And because I was in this place of, I didn't, I wanted to be respectful. I wanted to support you. I wanted you to be the USU you could be. And at the same time, I did not understand a lot of it and we were not having any conversations about it. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was out there on my own trying to figure it out. And that was antithetical to the way you and I normally have walked through things in life. Yeah. So we were going through what was a significant thing. And I felt like we were not on the same team at that time. Mm -hmm. 
and not that we were on competing teams, but just that we were just on different teams that didn't talk to each other really very much. Yeah. Like same company, different teams. There's no liaison. Where's the corporate liaison? And there wasn't like, it wasn't like there was any animosity between us or harsh words or anything like that. It's just, there just wasn't a lot of, there just wasn't a lot of talking or connection. And so for a while I was just confused because I just didn't understand. And I felt like there wasn't, we weren't really talking about it and I didn't quite know where to go with it. And I think it was the not talking about it and not being a part of the journey and the process. That's the thing that was the hardest for me is because I felt left out of a lot of it. And over time, I've been able to like come to understand some of that and make sense of it. And I was saying at the beginning about having a spiritual belief about things. And as the universe will do, I was mentoring someone at that time who was an adult close to my age and they were trans. Mm. And so we ended up getting to have conversations and and I got to have conversations and talk about things and and it helped me to have like more understanding and more compassion for myself that it was just taking time to figure it out and and understanding for you that you actually were trying to figure it out too yeah that was the part that was really helpful to me is when they explained to me that you were trying to figure it out too and that you probably had to like go into yourself and go, and I don't know if this is true or not, and I've never actually asked you this, but it's the thing that helped me, whether it was true or not, it was the thing that helped me, is that you were having to do what you needed to do, and my job was to love you and figure my own stuff out and be patient and keep loving you, which I was going to do anyways. That's not, I don't need anybody to tell me to do that with my kids, but, but just to be patient and really the thing about you are going through your own process too. And that if I could grant grace for me and for you during that time, that it would benefit us. And then I went through times of being frustrated because I just felt like, I don't know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And I and I felt alone and lonely about it. So those moments were difficult. It's also a part of having an adult relationship with your kids. So some of that is really just the maturity process separate from anything to do with gender or anything like that. It's just the maturation process, but it was just all mixed up together. Yeah. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but that's... I think it's... I think it's a great answer. I can tell you for me, what was happening at that time is it took me three and a half to four and a half years to realize that being non-binary also included a medical transition of some sort. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. until 2020 and pandemic and having a lot of time at home and not a lot of time like out doing other stuff that I did more of that sort of inward gazing was like, oh, and then there was like, months of crying with my wife every night (laughs) about all of that of course like we got married and then five to ten days later I'm like HRT (laughs) (laughs) poor capybara (laughs) but we've talked about that a lot too and she said look like I knew you were non-binary I knew I was marrying some flavor of a trans person and it's not that surprising but there there was it's you don't know it until it even if it's obvious to other people or people who have been trans and are further along in their medical transitions than me could have seen this coming a mile away but I had Mm -hmm. no idea all I knew is in 2017 when I came out was like 
my more feminine name that I was assigned at birth, which I refer to as my dead name now, didn't fit me. It didn't fit me. It didn't feel like me when people said it. I didn't feel like it was a reflection of all of the ridiculous, wonderful, creative outfits I would wear and the stuff I was interested in. I never did tea parties. I never did play wedding. And my sibling did, but I didn't. And someone told me at some point that a name is a gift. And sometimes gifts don't suit you and you have to give them back. And I know there was, you had some grief around my, my yes, the name changed, but like the, the family names, the sweet family names that you would call me. We even had to negotiate some of what are we going to call me on stream ahead of time, which I feel, I feel like we did a great job talking about that. I appreciated your mindfulness and thoughtfulness about that, but there was a particular name or phrase that you wanted to talk about that I wrote on our little notes here, the double D idea. Yeah. And there's two things because when you changed your name for me, like when you changed your first middle and last name, to me, it wasn't that you were changing your name necessarily. It mm -hmm. was that I felt out of the process and actually it wasn't your first or middle name. That was hard for me. It was the fact that you changed your last name. Yeah. It just, <laughs> we would be honest. So for me, and it's not even my given name. It's my married name. Yeah. And you kept it even after you got divorced. So you'd match your kids. And so <laughs> even dad and I, and now I've been that name for so long. Mm -hmm. The thought of going back to my maiden name is weird. Yeah. And even though I figured that even though, right at the time you were born in a certain body with a certain given name. And even if you had it, even if you're, gender identity had stayed what it was at birth, like what the physical, I guess I should say, representation at birth. And if you got married, your last name would have changed anyways. And yeah. ultimately that's the thing that got me over the hump is I was like, mm -hmm. the name was all gonna change. What is the difference? Yeah. So that's the thing that actually got me over the hump is like, why am I holding on to this whole last name thing? But it's what you said, it was a, for me, it was this connection that I had to you and your sibling and like that, it was like a thing for me because when you all were growing up, it was always so important to you both that I had the same last name as you. Even after your dad and I split up, it was a thing where you guys were adamant you wanted me to have the same last name as you. And so then when I had that and then when your name changed and I was like, wait a minute. But then when I did do the thing of what if they got, what if they had gotten married and changed the name? Like it was going to happen. It was likely going to happen anyways, one way or another, because you could have taken, you could have taken your wife's last name too, mm -hmm. right? Like you, could have, you guys could have gone that direction. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was an interesting thing for me with the whole last name thing. Like it wasn't actually the first, it wasn't the given name. It wasn't the first name. It was the, it was just, it was the surname that was hard for me. But I got there on it. Like I got there. So, which I think is ultimately the important part is, again, it's a journey. None of this happened overnight for me. It was time and it was a journey. And, and so the one, can I say what I used to call you and your sibling? Yes, with the content warning that a gendered nickname that no longer suits me is coming up. Yes, and I don't use it anymore. Yeah. And I don't use it with you anymore. 
That's right. I use it with a sibling, but I don't use it with you anymore. Because my sibling still identifies with that gender, as far as I know. Yeah. So the whole time that you and your sibling were growing up, I used to refer to you as darling youngest daughter or darling oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Like it was a term of endearment that and that particular phrase. Even if you guys would call me on the phone, I would answer the phone that way. That's true. Like I will say it about the sibling. Hi, darling youngest daughter. How are you today? It was really a thing. There was a lot of meaning behind it and history. And I had a lot of attachment to that. And so the label and the word daughter was probably singularly the hardest thing for me to give up. It was the very hardest thing for me to give up. Yeah. Because I was so invested in it. Mm -hmm. I personally so invested in that. And I had all this stuff, which I was not, it was my journey to give it up, uh, which I have absolutely been able to do. And, but for me, it became important to figure out like, because there's an alliteration that goes with that repeating D, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people had suggested other things to me because I was like, I got to figure out something. And so ultimately what I came up with, which was something that you co-signed on, yeah, that is So now I call you my darling descendant. Which I love and gives me euphoria every time I hear it. And it makes me happy because I get to hold on to a a sweet and tenderness that I have around my relationship with you. And so I got to hold on to the darling word. Yeah. Which Which is totally fine with me. Yeah. I can see your darling. Yes, it satisfies my desire to want to have this like warm term of endearment with my kid. Mm-hmm. And then descendant is something that works for you. It's It fits in with what is acceptable to you. Mm-hmm. And it gives me the alliteration that I like because I'm just a wordy person. And when I look at it now, honestly, I'm pretty proud of us for figuring our way through that and coming up with something that actually works for both of us. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I agree. I think it's pretty cool too. I, I like sharing the different names that we come up with, both you and I and Capybara and I, because we had to find a spouse name for me that felt sweet uh, that wasn't gendered either. Because being non-binary, it's not as simple as A to B. It's not as simple as man to woman to man, whatever. And so, whereas with her, since she's a trans woman, I just call her wife and that feels really euphoric and affirming to her. But we had to come up with something for me because husband also doesn't quite feel right. We've had whole conversations about that. And so we came up with infinite, which is your person and it feels sweeter than just like partner or spouse. And the sweetie doesn't feel like it's committed enough. And so we went with infinite and every non-binary person that I've told that phrase to who is, that has given me any feedback about it has always been very excited about it. Wow. That's super cool name. Love that you came up with that. So infinite sibling. Sometimes I'll call people sib for short for sibling. Cause you, know, you call your sister. Sometimes you'll call her sis. So instead I'll say like, Hey sib, how's it going? And it's these days I use chosen siblings with that or my freshly 18 year old sibling from dad's third marriage anyways 18 holy yeah, cow can you believe it isn't that cool crazy that is crazy <laughs> that sibling of mine has a summer job waiting tables yeah. earning tips and i don't know what they're gonna do in the fall i think maybe either go to technical school or something go on and explore wander 
go on a wander. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So you went through a whole grief journey. What helped, What, if anything else, what else helped support you on that journey? So I, for a while, I was actually really quiet about it. I didn't talk to a lot of people about it because I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what the journey was I was on. So mm -hmm. I didn't have words to articulate it, frankly. Sure. I just, I didn't know how to articulate what I was feeling and what the journey was. And also, I think it's important to share that there was a part of me that had guilt that I was having to go through a journey. I had this unrealistic expectation of myself that if I really was that open-minded of a person, there would be no journey. And that's not, that for me is not realistic for me. Not realistic. I agree. There's all, there was, there's a thousand things. There's a thousand things of letting go. And that's really what it was for me is that it was just a lot of letting go. And then also trying to transition all my languaging around it. And you and I've talked about this, like I used to practice it. And I would say to my, like my inner circle friends, when I start talking about the fact that I was having feelings about it, because people knew that you were trans, like my circle of people knew I, it was not something I was like being secretive about, but it took me a while. And my friends that are really close to me know I always go internal before I go external. It's just yeah. how I do it. It's just how I do it. And so when I started talking about it, I actually would say to my inner circle friends, because they always ask, like, how are the kids? What are they up to? And, and so I would say to them, I'm, I need to practice this pronoun thing so that I get more natural and so that it rolls off my tongue more easily mm -hmm. uh, because it, it sounds silly, but it actually did take practice to make that transition mm -hmm. because I was so used to using another pronoun with you. And I was aware enough to know that I didn't want to... And I didn't know there was even a phrase for it. Like now I think the phrase that I've heard you use many times is, is misgender you, people misgender mm -hmm. you, is that right? Yeah. I knew I didn't want to use the, the pronouns for you that didn't feel like they fit, but I wasn't there yet with it just rolling off my tongue. And so mm -hmm. I legit practiced with all of my friends every time I would talk about you. I would be like, okay. And I would say they, and my friends would say, who's they? Like, who else was with mm -hmm. Jack? Who, who else was with Meowster? And I would be like, no, they the pronoun. And so I, I was like educating my friend circle while yeah. I was getting myself straight. And so it ended up being this thing of being able to, like all of us have a little bit of fun with it because we were all trying to figure it out. And we were like, struggling but also it was important to us and so we were all trying to practice and so then my friends started to practice with me to use the they pronoun as it relates to you to make sure that they were calling you by the correct pronoun as well and so even now sometimes when I talk to my friends they will say because some of them have known you since you're little right they will say a pronoun and then they'll go they and so they are catching themselves in correcting it which honestly is endearing to me that it means that much to them that they're being cognizant of it and trying to change it as they go along and I did a lot of that with you too I did a lot of slipping up and then having to correct it and try and get it right and 
And there were really important moments when I got the pronouns wrong. There were moments that were important to you with, with stuff you had happening mm. that I got it wrong. And I know, I realize now that it was that I was stressed out being concerned about my kid. And so I have had to just give myself a little grace around that, that I was doing the best that I could. And I was just worried about like you going into surgery. It was yeah. just hard. And I was scared for you. Not in a, not in a, inappropriate or disproportionate way, but it's just when it's your descendant, it's scary to have them go into surgery of any kind. And you were having a reduction surgery. It was, and actually that surgery, I didn't think of it as a gender affirming surgery. I got it because my back was hurting all the time. And I had to be really clear with my doctor and the insurance companies. This is not about gender because there's so much gatekeeping around top surgery. I have been waiting six months for my insurance company to say it's okay to get surgery. And I've sent 15 letters and they're still being gatekeepers about it. And so I knew if I wanted that pain relief, I had to be really clear. And so I actually deceived my own brain (laughs) into thinking this was about pain only. And it wasn't until afterwards that I'm standing looking in the mirror and I had this psychic shock wash over me and I just started sobbing because it was a dramatic change to my body. And I looked over at you and I'm just, just a pile of tears and do you remember what you said right then? I can imagine I would have said something like it is normal to grieve, but I don't know for sure. What did I say? You said something like that you thought it might be at least a little bit about gender too. Mm. And in that moment, I like knew you were right and I wasn't ready for that. And so I ran away from it. <laughs> and it wasn't until three, four years later that I started HRT. I just, I wasn't ready for that to be true. It was, there was so much denial and fear in my own head, which I think is also part of why it was hard to include you on the journey because I didn't realize I was on it. It's like, all I know is I have a different name. I've been able to figure that out as we go along. I been able to figure out that you were, you and I were doing similar things. We were going internal before we could go external. Yeah. And so when I understood that you were going internal and it really wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with me. It was just your journey. And I was then able to stop taking it personal because there was a part about it that I was taking it personal that I felt so on the outside. And so when I was able to understand that, then I was just able to hold space. And, and I remember, yeah, I remember quite a few things about that time around your surgery. And I do remember sitting with you because I do remember that you had some doubts and I do remember saying to you, you can have wanted the surgery and be glad that you had the surgery and still grieve what you had for so long that you no longer have. Mm-hmm. It's You can actually hold those two things simultaneously. You can hold, which is, I understood it because it's what I was doing. I was simultaneously holding the space of loving you wanting for you to be able to just absolutely just blossom into who you were meant to be as a person Mm -hmm. and at the same time be going through all of my grieving of all of this letting go and then the nicknames and the history and the all of that and even the first time you said which wasn't too long ago when you said something about a dead name I was like I was like I don't know if I'm going to remember that can we like call it your can I if I say your old name is that going to be okay and you were like yeah and it's funny because we had this whole conversation about I might not remember your dead name but Mm -hmm. we talked about it for so long I don't I can't even remember what I said I was going to say because now all I remember is the phrase dead name 
Yeah. So ultimately <laughs> means that's the thing that now makes the most sense to me because we spent time talking about it. And that's the thing, if I could say anything to like, I don't know if there's any parents, I can't really see who's listening or whatever, but if there's any parents who are listening, for me, so much of it has just been you and I being able to just talk about things mm -hmm. like that. It makes me want to cry because that is the singular thing that has, that makes all the difference in the world to me is for us to just be able to talk. Like, even if neither one of us have it figured out, yeah, just communication open so that we can stumble along together and that neither one of us has to do it perfectly, but that we, there is a foundation of thinking the best of each other and attributing anything that comes up is it was there like not there's nothing intentional or malicious or anything. It's just whatever it is that's happening. It's just whatever, wherever somebody's walking right now, it's not being done at anybody. And just being able to talk about it, even when we don't have it all figured out for me has absolutely been a game changer. Yeah. And, and frankly, being able to talk to your wife too, who I adore. She's so great. And being able to have conversations with her about this topic, but just in general, just as a family, being able to chat. And like when you guys would send me photos and videos and, you know. and when we FaceTime you and then sometimes I just hand her the phone and I walk off to find a snack. Like here, talk to mom. <laughs> and we just chat. Yeah. And when you sent me, it was one of my favorite things when I sent you, I mean, Christmas stuff, but it was like nothing stuff, but it was stuff that we did together as a family that there was a lot of good memories with it and then when you guys sent me pictures of you guys as a family doing it just stick a knife in me stick a fork in me i'm done it was great i was dead after i got those photos i was like no. I, I still have the holiday thing you sent us <laughs> it's right it's right here next to the christmas card i've been meaning to write you for six months <laughs> the thank you card you don't have to worry about the card the pictures were the thank you card that was better than anything else it's just um, fun this is a fun little thing to share, but yeah, the being able to talk about it, that's been a big thing for me and yeah. to be able to be together, even like I said, even if we don't have it figured out and that there's grace that we're doing our best. And even yeah. if we make mistakes, we're doing our best. I actually started this talk show because you had expressed that to me at one point and I was like, oh, I should figure out a way to let mom into this whole experience in more regularly somehow. And so we picked a time that would be right after you got off work. So you could get off work and you could get here and then you wouldn't go home and fall asleep. Oh. And, and it's been such a wonderful blessing. Like it's actually become the capstone of the stuff that I do. I've noticed you know, this work has been so meaningful to me doing this talk show that I've rearranged all my other content around this because it feels so good and wonderful. And I just, I love getting to talk to people about this topic. It's so lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I, I told you this the other day, so this isn't the first time I've said it, but yeah, I cannot be more proud that you're doing this show. I just think it is so amazing that you're creating a space for a lot of people to come and find connection and understanding, maybe where there's other places where they can't necessarily find it. Yeah, I like to think of this stream in this community space that I curate is like a trans community center for all the all especially the non-binary people especially the trans mask people but all the folks who had to go home because 
pandemic happened and then everyone had to go home and be in the closet some more or whatever. I've just wanted this to be a place where people can ask those questions, right? Like you talk about be the most you can be. And so we actually have five or six different channels that are about questioning different identities in the server so that people can do that wrestling together. And then we have the insider opt-in. I definitely am some gender and sexuality identity thing that is not cis cisgender heteronormative and so then all those people get to mentor all the younger people who are still figuring it out and I actually wanted to mention and this will come up again in the resources part of the talk but that we created a parents of trans people channel so Mm -hmm. if I know checking discord is hard so maybe we need to come up with a different solution like an email thread or something but we came up with a channel just so that you mom if you wanted to and people who are like you other parents of trans people could talk to each other about what it's like it's like we have our own little p-flag chapter in the discord server yeah and i'm happy to i'm happy to talk to parents and just give them an ear and share any experience strength and hope if it's helpful to anybody because until you figure it out like until i figured myself out around it it felt lonely Mm mm-hmm and, and so once I started to figure it out, but the big thing for me was just being willing to talk to my own circle about it, even though other than that one person I was mentoring, there's no one else in my circle that has a trans child that I'm that aware they of. know about. That we know about today. <laughs> um, and so as my friends always tell me, dude, you're always the one breaking ground. I hope you'll send this episode to your friends later. <laughs> yeah. So they can hear us talk about how cool they are. Hey, mom's mm -hmm. friends, you're super cool. Thanks for being mom's friend and stuff and practicing. That's rad. The thing is that I could find love and understanding in my friend group, even if in this moment that we know of, I'm the only one that has a trans child. It doesn't matter. They just love me. They love my kidlets. And so they're there for me. They're there for us and they're always cheering for us. And that is for me is and my friends. So you know how they are. They have seen me through thick and thin and then up and down. And my best friend's been my best friend for 26 years. She's been around. She's known me longer than one of her kids. When I met her, she was pregnant with one and then she had another one after. So I have known her longer than she's, than she's known a couple of her kids. And so I can't, I probably can't sell having the right community of people around you big enough. And they don't have to have the exact same walk in order for it to be a supportive community. Yeah. They just have to, they just have to, for me, they just had to want the best for me and my family. And then everything else, they were just here for it. And I think growing up in that supportive community type environment is part of what has made it really easy and intuitive for me to want to make a space like my little Discord and Twitch community where we all just, we've been talking about if we want to call it aggressively wholesome or relentlessly wholesome or assertively wholesome, maybe assertive instead of aggressive. The brain flip that my brain does when I say aggressively wholesome, because you don't associate those two words with each other. So there's sort of wordplay going on there, but we're pretty relentlessly wholesome in my community. And I like to imagine some of that I learned from you and all your cool, your cool friends that you ran around with back in the day and continue to run around with. Well, and your dad had some really good friends too. Some were family, cousin, cousin Jim, even though he's not with us anymore. Like he was like, yeah, absolutely. The cat's meow. And so there was a lot of love coming from a lot of places in our lives. We were really, it was an embarrassment of riches as it came to people. (laughs) 
supportive. Like we've been very lucky in that way. Very it's lucky. like people put love fertilizer in my little plant when I was a little. <laughs> now I'm like a big love tree. Yeah, you used to almost. <laughs> do you remember? I used to have to <laughs> the, the the old timers in the special club in yeah. their legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and surprise, I used to, surprise I, love attack. Yes, your love attacks, and so I had to like work with you to. Do <laughs> front so people could see him coming attacks from behind were a little bit scary for me yeah don't need to be knocking down 80 year old people that's my love 70 75 year old people yeah exactly i was worried that our love attacks might push him over the edge somewhere Uh, looking back now that i've spent my introspective time in 2020 I think part of that was also having to do with my own undiagnosed ADHD and autism because there was a lot of lack of impulse control, which is very ADHD of me. There's just not picking up or caring about social norms. That's very autistic of me. And the the crossover of people who are trans and people who are some form of neurodivergent is basically a circle. Like the Venn diagram that is those things is basically a circle. So... That's a whole that's a whole journey I'm on. I think we've talked about that a little bit, but you look a little surprised right now, so maybe I haven't talked to you about it enough, and then that's no, that'll be yeah. our next phone call. I just didn't know the circle part. I didn't know the circle part, but yeah, we yeah, have yeah. talked about it actually, yeah. So I just don't feel like I'm in I don't feel like I'm personally informed on the topic to be mm-hmm. able like I have. Yeah, I'm sitting here in like just surrendered support of whatever that turns out to be because mm-hmm. One of those things that again i just wasn't educated about it when you were growing up so i just when i just didn't know enough about it so it wouldn't have occurred to me that yeah. there was something like that. because you know frankly you're so smart and you excelled at so many things growing up mm-hmm. so for me i probably would have had a very narrow view of any kind of autism or adhd mm-hmm any of that struggle stuff, I would have probably had too narrow of a view of what that meant Mm -hmm. um, out of my lack of knowing and understanding, which isn't a good thing. It's just the truth. It's just truthful. I didn't even know until I met Capybara and she started explaining some things and I had a whole identity crisis about, oh no, I might be autistic and what does that mean? And I had to go through all the stigma in my head about it. And it was a whole time. There was a lot of, (laughs) there was a lot of scream crying in 2021. (laughs) Because all the things cracked. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you just, you'll get an appointment, you'll go in, have the discussion and whatever assessments, and you'll get the answers you need, and then you'll get some kind of strategy or whatever around it, and mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Yeah, That's it already is okay. It just explains why I voice marched to the beat of my own drum. Yeah, you definitely have. That is a, never a truer statement could be said. And that's the one part where I feel like I did a pretty good job as a parent was supporting the beating to your own drum, even if I didn't always understand it. That was the one thing that, like, I I feel like when you gave me my lecture when you were in first grade about it's important what I look like on the outside or who I am on the inside. When When you gave me my words back to me, I was like, this is right this child is right. Yeah. So that was good medicine for me. And it actually set the stage for your entire growing up. I mean, it was really, it really set the stage for it. Cause I, in that moment, I really had to walk the talk that I was talking. Mm-hmm. And so it opened a very wide gate 
for a lot of things that I think were actually really good for our whole family. I have at least two questions from the audience that I would like to make sure we get to. How are you doing energy wise? I know you probably need dinner and rest soon, but okay. I just want to check in. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So this is actually a question that Lexi who uses they and he pronouns and is also known as trans Griffin uses has been asking for a couple of months and I feel like we haven't gotten a good a good guess to have a good answer but maybe we can try and tackle it and maybe we'll ask it and answer it again on another episode as well so the question is what would you say to parents who have a religious inhibition from accepting their children as who they are Ooh, and I'd love to hear your answer first because I can get spicy about it, but it's maybe more meaningful coming from a fellow parent. Yeah, I'm not sure I have a good answer because that's not my background. I can only answer it. I will give the answer that makes sense in my mind, which is that what I understand about principles, about spiritual principles, is that they're all underpinned by love. And so for me, at the base of everything is love. And so that's the place where I would be wanting to start is that at the end of the day, I would hope that somebody's faith or spiritual walk would be underpinned by that love is first and then the rest of it comes from there. And so for me, that's, and that's, as Meowster knows, like that's how I approached it all was that there was this basis of love and everything else we were going to figure out. And it was figure outable. So for me, it's just starting at the space of love. And then, and then some of it is having difficult conversations and trying to remain surrendered during the difficult conversations because it's only been in talking about it that changes have happened for me. And I feel for me, I needed to be given time to try and come to grips with myself. Mm -hmm. And it took me time. And that's the thing is as a child of whether it's trans or what have you, as a child watching their parents go through it, if the parents can be granted grace to struggle and if the, if the children can approach the parents and be willing to have the difficult conversations, I think that's a part of it is being willing to have the conversations. And I won't go into any details, but there was something that happened that, that I was very, I was upset about. And I called Jack and I said, Hey, listen, here's the thing. And that's not going to work for me. I'm totally accepting of you. I'm working hard to get things right, but this thing right here cannot happen. It's, it doesn't feel good to me. I can accept a lot of things, but this particular thing that is going on, it can't happen. And any of these particular things, it has to be between you and I. It can't be anybody else involved in it. It's gotta be a direct conversation between you and I. So for me, I have taken it a lot better when Jack has come to me with things or if Jack talks to me about things or if I have to get something straight or change what I'm saying or doing, it's better for me for Jack to come to me because that's who I have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. and, and it was a hard conversation. It was hard for me to say it to Jack because I was afraid, honestly, I was afraid I was gonna lose, sorry, Meowster. I was afraid I was gonna lose Meowster. So I had fear with being able to set a boundary 
but I also felt like I had to set the boundary in order for our relationship to actually grow. And I don't know that's the great answer to your question, but to start with love, the underpinning of love, and then be willing to have the difficult conversations and, or at least just ask them, do they want to talk about it? Are they curious about things? Do they, is it, is it like, how do they feel about it? For me, the feelings thing is the thing that has helped pull me through. But again, I'm not from that background. So I don't know if that's a fit. I don't know. I can tell you that my, the, the paper that I wrote for my senior thesis in college. So I have, I have a bachelor's degree in comparative religion and I have a master's degree in theology. So I went deep into a particular religion for a while there. That's not the one I am today, but that's a different story for another time. Maybe someday I'll have you back to talk about that whole thing. <laughs> but I can tell you, I spent months of time writing and researching, and I wrote a 25, 26, whatever page paper about a particular Hebrew, he, what is the word? Uh, religion of the book. We'll just go with that because I'm forgetting the fancier word. And sent it to all of my more conservative religious family members. And they took it as a coming out letter, which was not what I meant, but is what sort of how they took it. And I was trying to convince them of some things and they were not convinced. And so they've got a loving me despite my identity thing going on. And I just don't really go around their house for holidays anymore because loving your kid despite some piece of their identity doesn't work for me. <laughs> personally. I still care about them. I still love them, but it's just, it doesn't feel safe. Like I have a spouse and if you look at our assigned genders at birth, we look straight, but we are definitely not that <laughs> or some other flavor of something. Uh, we're like so far the other direction, like most people can't even comprehend what our whole relationship is. That's also another conversation. So what I learned is there's no amount of like explaining there's no amount of academic argument. Like I, I went into six years of post high school education worth of debt to make this argument really well. And none of it helped. <laughs> so save your money. <laughs> you don't have to go to seminary to win this argument. It's not going to work. At the time I was trying to argue about being lesbian and, and being a uh, Christian and having that be okay. And I'm personally, I'm really good with the whole, you can be Christian and gay at the same time and Jesus still loves you and all that whole thing. If anyone wants to talk about that, I can send you a paper I wrote 15 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. And it might be a little dated because I haven't updated it. That's a whole, I've, sw I've swam in those waters for a long time. And at this point it feels like I'm so far from it. I'm rusty and I can't even do it well like I used to. But I think, yeah, I think what you said, mom, about you got to start from love. You, you got to start from love and that's it. And some of my relatives, they've got really strict rules. If you're not married, you can't stay in the same bedroom. If you can come to this family event, but you can't talk about X, Y, or Z or whatever it is. And for me that I don't want to be around if I can't be my full self. And so for me, I have chosen the family members who are cool. Thankfully, both my mom and dad are in the cool family member category. Lucky me. That's not everyone's story. And like beyond that, I've just had to make my own family. And that's why so many people in the LGBTQ plus community talk about chosen family 
because so often the family of blood can't get there. But I think mom's made some really good points today about the importance of having that conversation while you're along the way. Now, if you're, if you have other stuff with your family member, if they are emotionally abusive or something else, like they haven't earned the right to be on the journey with you. If they're unsafe, just in general, for other reasons, they don't get that access. They don't have that. They already aren't safe. Even if you are cis or straight or whatever, your family members first have to be good family members as people in general. And then you have to choose if you're going to be vulnerable with them about something like this, because identity is so core to who we are. And I can tell you when, if, when your identity shifts around, I don't know how many people are into root chakras and all that stuff, but it's when your root is getting shaken up, it's really disorienting. And mom and I have had phone calls about how there was a time where I really just needed to insulate myself with only people who were like me going through this stuff. And that was all I could handle because I was so shaken up at the core of who I was. I was not ready for questions. I was not ready for extra stuff. And that's also part of why for me, this podcast, this show is so important because I'm at a point for me where I'm stable enough that I can take those questions and I can answer those and I can field that. And so all the little eggs and hatchlings that are brand new and it's really hard and they don't know what's happening. Like that's why trans elders are so important because we're here to take all that BS so that the little babies can go figure themselves out and not have to take it because it's a lot. (laughs) So it's a lot. Yeah. Okay. I'm seeing lovely things in chat. Go ahead. It's same for me as the parent. I there was a time when I couldn't have had conversations. We were just talking about this right before we did this podcast, and I was saying that there was a time when I wouldn't have been able to. I, I hadn't figured myself out enough to be able to have these conversations and be in this place with it because I was still in the grieving process, and I'm not in that anymore. I'm in a different place with it. Like I'm super, I'm like, like legit at a place of being so proud of you for doing this podcast. And so excited to get to be able to be here and talk about this with you today. I've really been looking forward to this. Me too. So it was a journey for me and it's, and most of the parents that I've talked to, it has been a journey. I'm definitely open to talking to parents that can get Oh, I'm not on the server very much, so we may have to figure out a way to get that information to me. But someone in the to... chat suggested we might make a Facebook group for okay. the parents. I'm happy to figure out a way for us <laughs> to create a connection to do that, whether it's Facebook or somewhere else. And and yeah, because it is, it's a journey and being able to be surrendered about it. And it's the same thing for parents and also for people that aren't working it out with their family of birth right now you can join our family we'll take you my heart is so happy and full i love it okay we have a slightly longer question from christina and i haven't read the whole thing but we're just gonna read it together right now so christina asks meowster does being in the lgbtqia plus community alongside a sibling influence your relationship with them like i found out my older sister is bipolar and she trailblazed a lot and i just found out i'm bipolar and it's been really encouraging to see how we can relate in a new way and to meowster's mom did learning with your oldest child help you relate to your other child in a more supportive way just curious since it sounded like y'all are in different parts of the lgbtq community like i appreciate the hell out of my older sister and they mentioned that they're 
was a sibling, so I was curious about that dynamic. So in this case, I think we're using sibling mostly to protect my sibling's identity and not dox them. The pronouns are different than the ones we've been using, but it's a privacy thing. My sibling at times has identified as being in the LGBTQ community. I don't know how they identify now because we haven't talked in a while for other reasons that I'm not going to get into. But as, as far as I know, like it's there, I think that there are ways that we trailblazed for each other as, as all, as is true with all siblings, right? Like I'm the oldest, so I, we got to practice all kinds of things with me first and yeah. Ironically, my sibling's the one who got into more trouble as a youth than me. And I think that's just because we handled the our multifaceted environment growing up with divorced parents and whatever else was going on in very different ways. So I hyperfixated on being the best student I could be. And I had dysphoria that I didn't know I had. So anything I could do to not be in my body was the thing I was going to do. So still to this day, but especially then, I played a lot of video games. I played a lot of video games. And my sibling would watch, and then my sibling would wander off and go have social phone calls and do whatever else they did. But I I was very much, I was reading every book I could get my hands on. I was, I learned to play the guitar. I was doing five sports and, or five clubs and three sports and all the, like, I just, I stayed busy. And part of that was because I wanted to go to a good college. And I think looking back now, part of that is because I didn't want to deal with, I was going through the, the wrong puberty for me, and that was freaking me out. Woo! So that's, that was my deal. I can't speak for my sibling. They're not here and they can't say their side of the story, but is there, what would you like to contribute to that, mom? Yeah, Maelstra's sibling actually was one of the people that very much so educated me on Maelstra's journey because they had already had an understanding of the community and gender identity and pronouns and all of that stuff. In the beginning, actually, Nelster's sibling would correct me when I would get when I would get the pronoun wrong. And and we had a lot of conversation early on between the two of us where I was getting set straight by Meowster's sibling. And I don't think I ever told Meowster that, but in the beginning, there was a lot of the the younger siblings setting me straight, not in a bad way, just in a, you understand this is what this means, right? But that's the nature of that human being is that they're super bossy. So <laughs> they're just like bossy. Speaking out of school, this person says... <laughs> Bossy and nosy. So I got set straight many times. So <laughs> topic, it was that the younger sibling was the one that was doing the education and kind of like donking me on the forehead and saying, get it right, mama, get it right, mama, get it right, mama. That was actually helpful as well. Is you all, I hope you all can tell my kids didn't really have qualms about setting me straight on things but I also didn't have qualms about setting them straight on things so that's the agreement amongst us is we're going to be authentic with each other and when stuff we don't like stuff we let each other know and when we do like stuff we let each other know so yeah kind of the game I love it 
I don't see any other AMA questions. So my last sort of standard question before we get to resources is, what would you like to make sure folks, especially other parents, know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? Which maybe you've already said all of it, but I just like to double check if there's anything we left out. No, it's just stuff I've been saying that it's a process and that it, if it's all underpinned by love, then it's gonna be okay. That is the main thing is just love each other. And if we start from that place, as long as the relationships are reasonable to begin with, then it's gonna be okay. Like we will figure it out if we're approaching each other with love and an open mind and an open heart. And for the parents, it's just, there's no such thing as doing it perfectly. There honestly is no such thing as doing it either. It's just being willing to try and take the journey. So when I stopped trying to get, have unrealistic expectations of myself, it got a lot easier. That's what I got. I love it. I'm really glad you had time and to talk with us today and hang out and persevere through all the technology. The crazy before we went live and then in the middle of it. Yeah. So I do have some resources to recommend to folks. So one resource that I wish I'd known about at the start of all of this, so I could have told you is called PFLAG and it's for the parents and friends of, it says lesbians and gays, but it's more broad now and parents of trans people and parents of intersex people and all sorts of other identities that aren't in the PFLAG acronym can also go and learn. And PFLAG is international, so you can probably find a chapter somewhere near where you are. And I don't know if they've got Zoom stuff you can get to, but talking to other parents that are going through this experience, I think is a worthwhile thing to do. I've mentioned that we have a channel in the Discord server for parents of trans folks. Your, your trans person doesn't have to be a kid. They could be a kid. They could be 12. They could be 25. They could be 80. I don't know. Any parent. That's, a, that's an option that we have for y'all. And it sounds like maybe we're going to make a Facebook group. So I've already got the Gender Meowster Facebook page. Maybe I'll see if there's a way the page can have its own group or what we can do with that. But I'd love to to make something that is on a platform that makes sense for the people who are most likely to use it. So we will look into that. And maybe by the time this show airs on uh, YouTube or podcast format, you all will have the link in the show notes. So make sure you check the notes for that invitation link. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us, this stuff that we're doing, we we have fact of life issues like paying for our internet, <laughs> etc. So if you like this stuff, please consider supporting the team. We have multiple ways you can support via pally.gg, which is a way we can support the, the tips evenly, split the tips between all of the contributors, not just me, the person, but the other people that help editing and moderating the chats and doing all the other things that gets done. There's also, you can PayPal me directly. You can contribute on as a one-time or as an ongoing subscription, either way, if you would like to do that. If you're here on Twitch, you can also subscribe or share with bits. And I'm also going to include the link to my coming out video that my, my son so lovingly edited a while back. So that'll be in the show notes as well. It's, I don't remember how long that video is. It might be like 20 minutes. It's not short. It's a good chunk, but I talk about some of the things that we've been talking about. Is there any other cross promo that you would like to share? No, I don't have anything in particular, but thanks for asking. You're up, super... you're up to lots of cool things. 
come up with some stuff. I am, yeah. Some of I them am. are secret, though. Secret, cool things. You're not totally secret. Just how we do it is secret. So, yeah, we're doing new technology houses. So we're going to provide houses for the affordable housing space. And we'll be able to pump out, like, one house every eight-hour shift. So we'll be doing big developments all at one time. So that's, that's exciting. Cool. And then I use my racing passion to actually give back to wounded military veterans. So we host a racing series around the country and bring wounded military veterans out and take care of them because we're really, it's specifically geared towards veterans with PTSD because they're dying at a very high rate through suicide. So we're trying to do suicide prevention, but we're just doing it through fun and octane. I'm all about the fun. You are about the fun. I'm also about the fun. Totally. We're just we're just like about the fun plus whatever our special interest is. Mine is video games, yours is racing. It's so great. All good. I love it. I want to take an extra moment here to let you know that Lizzie Beth Cruz has just popped into the Twitch chat and Lizzie Beth Cruz is also a mom of a trans person. Our guest last time we was Scott and I talked about how Scott is two-spirit and what that is about and means and all of that. And Lizzie was here for that as well. And so the two of you so far, the two parents in the parents discord. So yeah, it's so sweet. So Lizzie will pop into the Compass Rose Productions who rated us a a couple minutes ago and we'll just be in their chat and be all supportive mom watching all the youngsters do cool stuff. And it's just, it's been really cool to have moms around in general, like Mm -hmm. grooving on the stuff. I know that the Twitch platform is newfangled and the Discord is really newfangled and it's all a lot. The For the moms that, that take the extra couple months to learn how to use these programs, it's not just you figure it out in a day. It's been really rewarding to have the sort of like the ancestors extension and have that community, especially with us being all physically distanced, either because of pandemic or because we just live in different places. It's been really cool to have folks be able to connect in that way. So. Maybe you and Lizzie will get to talk some more. Yay. I just, I, oh, I don't want to stop. It's so fun. Okay. How about we say goodbye to our listeners and then we'll take a minute to find someone to raid, but the the goodbye will be the end of the podcast episode. So thank you so much for being on the show, mom. It's been really awesome to have you and we could just talk forever, but I think we both need to go eat a meal or take a nap. (laughs) Thanks everybody. Yay. Thank you. I love it.